This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for another year in movie music with host Jeff Cummings. World War I was very prevalent in the movies in 1943. The top grossing film of the year, This is the Army, was fast-tracked from being a hit Broadway show in 1942 to a hit Hollywood musical in 1943, and it earned a staggering $8 million. Three other films ranked in the top 10 highest grossing films also had World War II plots, Star Spangled Rhythm, Thousands Cheer, and Casablanca. Star Spangled Rhythm found its way onto the nomination list for Best Original Song of 1943, and we'll talk about that film and its song in a minute. When it came to the music categories, the Academy still felt like the winners of the two Best Score Awards and the Best Original Song Award still belonged at the kids' table. For the 1943 film achievements, the Academy allowed all categories except the music categories to receive the actual Academy statuette, or the Oscar, as it is commonly known. Many of the winners, as I have mentioned, had their plaques exchanged for statuettes in later years, but in the moment, it was odd that the supporting actors got statuettes, but composers and lyricists still got tiny plaques, even though the music categories had been around longer. But many of the songwriters and the performers who sang the tunes still enjoyed a lot of success in the industry. The songs that played in the movies were the only things that the public could bring into their homes at the time since television did not broadcast movies and video cassettes were still four decades away. Winning songs such as White Christmas and Over the Rainbow kept the films in which they appeared in the conversation, which continued to help their sales year after year. Many of the nominated songs from 1943 did not enjoy that lasting legacy, but a lot of that had to do with the fact that their accompanying films were not big hits, with a couple of exceptions. One of those exceptions was the movie Star Spangled Rhythm, which, as I mentioned earlier, was one of the highest grossing movies of the year. It was nothing more than a vehicle for Paramount Pictures to present its most famous celebrities in one place as a morale boost for the troops. There is a plot in the movie involving a sailor on shore leave roaming around the Paramount lot, but the highlight of the film is the variety show hosted by Bob Hope in the final 40 minutes. That show features Bing Crosby, Veronica Lake, and Fred McMurray, among many others. Of the eight songs that Johnny Mercer and Harold Arlen wrote for the movie, the one that got the Academy Award nomination was That Old Black Magic. It's sung by Johnny Johnston as part of that big variety show, that the sailor's dad arranges at the end of the movie. In his particular scene, Johnston is a soldier on the warfront about to go to sleep with a signed photo of dancers Vera Zarino next to his cot. As he wonders if the words, sincerely yours, are genuine, he sings that old black magic and drifts off to sleep to dream of Zarina dancing to the song. The black magic he sings of refers to the spell Vera casts on him, especially when she looks at him. You think she means that? Means what? Norris. Vera. 
Will you let me get some sleep? You surely must be crazy about me to say that. To say what? Sincerely. Why, you stupid... That old black magic has me in its spell. That old black magic that you weave so well. Those icy fingers up and down my spine. The same old witchcraft when your eyes meet mine. The same old tingle that I feel inside And then that elevator starts its ride And down and down I go, round and round I go Like a leaf that's caught in the tide I should stay away, but what can I do? I hear your name, and I'm a flame. A flame with such a burning desire That only your kiss can put out the fire you're the lover I have waited for The mate that fate had me created for And every time your lips meet mine Darling, down and down I go Round and round I go in a spin, loving the spin I'm in, under that old black magic called after their affair ended, Johnny Mercer still pined for Judy Garland, and some of his love songs were thinly veiled attempts at communicating with her. That old black magic was one of them. Mercer's biographer has written that Mercer hoped Garland would be released from her contract at MGM to appear in Star Spangled Rhythm for Paramount, then sing that old black magic in the movie. But it didn't happen. 
Bing Crosby makes a major cameo in Star Spangled Rhythm, singing Old Glory in the film's finale, a major rah-rah moment designed to rally patriotism for the audience in the film and likely for the audience watching Star Spangled Rhythm. Given Bing Crosby's pedigree for making his songs into big hits and getting two of them to win Academy Awards at this point, it's surprising that Old Glory wasn't voted on by Paramount's music department as the studio's nominee that year. Even though performers of winning songs don't receive Academy Awards, Bing Crosby's voice by now had a strong effect on voters. Crosby had another movie out in 1943 called Dixie. It's a biography of songwriter Daniel Emmett that is hard to watch these days because of the numerous blackface performances. But Crosby's songwriters Jimmy Van Heusen and Johnny Burke wrote a few decent songs for him. One of them was Sunday, Monday, or Always. Won't you tell me when we will meet again Sunday, Monday, or always If you're satisfied, I'll be at your side Sunday, Monday, or always No need to tell me now what makes the world go round When at the sight of you My heart begins to pound and pound And what am I to do Can I be with you Sunday, Monday or the song was another number one single for Crosby and the first number one hit song for Van Heusen and Burke, spending 18 weeks on the Billboard top seller charts. Dixie was the 10th highest grossing film of 1943, but Paramount seemingly wanted to go with a song from a more popular film, passing over anything from Dixie. After he finished work on Dixie and Star Spangled Rhythm, Crosby took some time off to join the USO Entertainment Circuit and give some levity to the troops overseas. It was with this tour that the popularity of White Christmas soared to even bigger heights than he or songwriter Irving Berlin could imagine. The idea of using the movies as a form of entertainment for the troops was not unique to Paramount. Warner Brothers and United Artists were just a couple of the studios who also got in on the war propaganda filmmaking. Warner Brothers' contribution was the movie Thank Your Lucky Stars, which served as a fundraiser for the Hollywood Canteen, a Los Angeles-based entertainment club for men and women in the military. The film, like Star Spangled Rhythm, was light on plot and featured many of Warner Brothers' big stars appearing in cameos, mostly during a big stage show that was being produced as a charity fundraiser. One of those Warner Brothers stars was Betty Davis, who sang They're Either Too Young or Too Old, the song that would be nominated for an Academy Award. Almost all of the song performances in the movie come during the rehearsal of this musical review or during the actual show itself. These songs have nothing to do with the plot, but some have a high entertainment value, like Ice Cold Katie, featuring Oscar winner Hattie McDaniel and a large cast of black singers and dancers. At least they're not white people in blackface. Betty Davis's number does stand out, if only because it's the rare instance in which she sings on camera. Her number starts off with her getting out of a car at a nightclub. She stops outside the door to see a war poster and laments about the men who have gone overseas to fight. 
It feels like it's going to be a torch song, but once she goes inside the club, it turns out that it's a catchy comedy song delivered with the classic Betty Davis acidic wit that would be made iconic in about seven years with All About Eve. She sings about the dismal choices of men she has now that the more virile men are off fighting. Her choices are either in the wheelchair or the bassinet, a fossil or an adolescent pup. You marched away and left this town as empty as can be and I am like the driftwood in a deadly calm at sea I can't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me for there is no secret lover that the draft board didn't discover They're either too young or too old They're either too gray or too grassy green The pickings are poor and the crop is lean What's good is in the army. What's left will never harm me. They're either too old or too young. So darling, you'll never get stung. Tomorrow I'll go hiking with that Eagle Scout unless I get a call from Grandpa for a snappy game of chess. They're either too warm or too cold They're either too fast or too fast asleep So darling, believe me, I'm yours to keep There isn't any gravy The gravy's in the Navy They're either too fresh or too stale There is no available mail I will confess to one romance I'm sure you will allow. He tries to serenade me, but his voice is changing now. They're either too bald or too bold. I'm down to the wheelchair and bassinet. My heart just refuses to get upset I simply can't compel it to with no Marines to tell it to I'm either their first breath of spring or else I'm their last little fling I either get a fossil or an adolescent pup I either have to hold him off or have to hold him up the battle is on, but the fortress will hold. They're either too young or too old. 
When you are in Australia, or out in the Aleutians, or off among the Russians, and flying over Egypt, your heart will never be dipped. And when you get to India, I'll still be what I've been there. I've looked the field over, and lo and behold. The song has some very catchy rhymes by lyricist Arthur Schwartz. My favorite is, when you get to India, I'll still be what I've been to you. It's interesting that she doesn't sing the title of the song at the end, even though she sets it up in the second to last line. Frank Lesser wrote the music for that song with Schwartz, along with 11, yes, 11 other songs for the film. This was their first and only collaboration, and I wouldn't blame them if sheer exhaustion from writing so many songs caused them to go their separate ways after this. Lesser had been serving in the Army Air Forces while production of Thank Your Lucky Stars was underway, but he had been writing a lot of war-themed songs for the past year. Writing there too old or too young was right in his wheelhouse, giving us a different spin on giving a tribute to the fighting men overseas. As for Schwartz, his lyrics mostly went to Broadway shows with some brief stints writing for the movies in the 1930s. Schwartz had a great career working with Howard Dietz for those Broadway shows through the 1930s, and that partnership only ended because Dietz enlisted in the Navy for World War II and took on a new chapter working with the government. Betty Davis's version was never released commercially. Jimmy Dorsey was responsible for making it a number one song on the hit parade for nearly five weeks in 1943, and Rosemary Clooney also made it popular. Neither of these two, however, gave it the Betty Davis treatment that likely helped convince the Warner Brothers Music Department to nominate it for an Academy Award. It also didn't hurt that Davis was one of the founders of the Hollywood Canteen and one of the people who came up with the idea for the movie. I hope someone told her that if the song was voted as the Academy Award winner, she wouldn't get the award. The next Cameo Field musical review on our list is Stage Door Canteen. It was set mostly in a club for servicemen in New York City that was similar to the real-life Stage Door Canteen in New York City. It is there that we see lots of big-name movie stars coming in and out to sing a song or serve food to the soldiers. Katherine Hepburn, Johnny Weissmuller, Ethel Merman, and Ray Bolger are just four in a long list of stars who gave their time to appear in the movie. Another fairly big-name star in the movie was Lanny Ross, who sings the Academy Award-nominated song, We Mustn't Say Goodbye. The song is written by Jimmy Monaco and Al Dubin, one of the four that they wrote. 
The song has an air of sentimentality to it as Ross proclaims that there is no reason to say goodbye to his lover because dreams and memories will keep them together. Attention, Lenny Ross. A pair of little people, their biggest moment comes. She says goodbye, his soft reply is heard above the drum. In dreams, we'll always be together beneath the moonlit sky. We mustn't say goodbye. Each night, I'll push aside the mountain. I'll drain the ocean dry. We mustn't say goodbye. I promise you that when Because the song is being sung to a room full of male soldiers soon to depart to fight overseas, director Frank Borjog and his songwriters should have made the performer female in order to give it more emotion. A woman singing about never forgetting her loved one while he's gone would have a better impact on the scene. Stage or Canteen had more dramatic tension than the other two musical reviews, putting World War II front and center of the plot by putting the main characters in the army. The reality of them shortly about to be deployed hangs over the entire film, so We Mustn't Say Goodbye was a great song for the film. Now, Al Dubin's output in the 1940s was very slim compared to the songs he wrote in the mid to late 1930s. Stage Door Canteen was the first time he'd been asked to contribute more than one song to a film, and it appeared that his star was on the rise again. But on February 11, 1945, 20 months after the premiere of Stage Door Canteen, Al Dubin died of a drug overdose at 54 years old. Fred Astaire took the war movie a little bit further than he had with You'll Never Get Rich with the 1943 film The Sky's the Limit, taking him back to RKO Pictures. In it, Fred Astaire plays Fred Atwell, a successful bomber pilot who goes to New York City during the 10-day leave and falls in love with a photographer, 
played by 17-year-old Joan Leslie. Leslie had a breakthrough the previous year as James Cagney's girlfriend-slash-wife in Yankee Doodle Dandy and showed off some more of her musical prowess next to Astaire in The Sky's the Limit. Leslie introduced the Academy Award-nominated song My Shining Hour in the film in a scene in which she is fed up with being a society photographer and threatens to become a singer instead of taking one more picture of a famous person. She goes to the stage at a nightclub and performs the song, which has the same sentiment as We Mustn't Say Goodbye, because it also portrays a singer who will persevere until she is reunited with the one she loves. The song doesn't really describe what she will do in this shining hour, just that it will be a good one. Leslie was a decent singer, but her performance here was dubbed by Sally Sweetland. This version was never released commercially. Eugenie Baird provided the vocals for the commercial release, which got as high as number four on the Billboard sales charts. In one of his early attempts to woo Joan, Fred walks with her to her apartment in the film, and they talk about her song performance. Naturally, Fred says he's a songwriter, and suggests a better version that is a little lighter then performs his version with new lyrics with Leslie joining in near the end. This will be my shining hour Lonely though it may be And then uh, Like the face 
of Misha Hour on the music hall marquee. <laughs> Were they Stingers or Bacardi's? Was it Tony's? Was it Sardi's? What's the idea? This will be my shining hour till I'm with you again. I felt a little riff on Thanks for the Memory when the song became a duet, but this song wasn't trying to be like that. It's written by Harold Arlen and Johnny Mercer, earning their second nomination of 1943. This is another example of the great partnership that was Arlen and Mercer, as the music and lyrics meld together to create a catchy melody to accompany memorable words. Arlen and Mercer only wrote three songs for The Sky's the Limit, perhaps a directive from Fred Astaire and director Edward Griffith to make the movie more of a dramatic picture and less of a musical. But that doesn't mean Fred Astaire doesn't get his chance to show off. There's a big performance near the end called One for My Baby that might have been in serious contention for submission as the, the studio's Academy Award-nominated song. Astaire gets drunk at several bars while lamenting that he is being called back to the war sooner than expected. He sings lines such as, When I'm gloomy, you'll sit me down and listen to me till it's talked away, while getting progressively drunker. Arlen said the song's melody was difficult to write because it went longer than the typical 32 bars and had a couple of key changes in the music. But Johnny Mercer was able to zero in on the tone of the song and how Fred would perform it and made it work. Hey, Joe. Yeah? It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. So set them up, Joe. I've got a little story you ought to know. We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. Make it one for my baby and one more for the road. I got the routine, so drop another nickel in the machine. I'm feeling so bad. I wish you'd make the music dreamy and sad Could tell you a lot But that's not in a gentleman's code Make it one for my baby And one more for the road There's one more nominated song on the 1943 list that comes from a movie dealing with World War II and that movie is hers to hold. The first hour of the movie deals with the war only peripherally as Joseph Cotton's character, Bill, is home from serving as a fighter pilot and now working in an airplane factory. Hers to hold starts as a simple romantic drama, but once Bill is called to service again, the movie takes a dramatic turn, and it turns on the performance of Deanna Durbin singing the nominated song, Say a Prayer for the Boys Over There. Durbin returns to the silver screen as Penny Craig in the third movie dealing with the Craig family. This time, Penny's older sisters are married and off doing their own thing, leaving Durbin to lead the movie outright. Durbin had been doing well as a child actor, and this is her first real leading role as an adult. 
Her voice is still amazing to behold. And she makes the song equally haunting and inspiring as she sings to her co-workers at the airplane factory to do more than work hard building airplanes. The new plan is to pray for the soldiers every time the Star Spangled Banner plays.
song gets a rousing reprise at the end of the movie when Penny sings again in front of her co-workers after she sees Bill take off for another tour of duty. In the first performance, she's on stage with an orchestra, but in the finale, it's just her on stage, and it adds a bit of poignancy to the song. Durbin, by way of her character, looks more mature and gives the song more importance based on the staging alone. Lyricist Herb Magidson earned his second Academy Award nomination for the song, his first since winning the award for the Continental in the first year of the Best Song Award. Remember then that Magidson was only 29 years old when he won the Academy Award, and in the nine years since, he never got the opportunity to write for another Fred Astaire movie, working instead on lower-profile musicals that got little attention from the studios or the public. Hers to Hold was his first collaboration with composer Jimmy McHugh, whose track record of working with lyricists lately was not very good. This would be the only collaboration between McHugh and Magidson, who went about their task of writing a song that would fit well into the film, as well as a song that would sell during wartime. It was an easy job for McHugh, who wrote a song in 1943 called Coming In on a Wing and a Prayer with his longtime lyricist Harold Abramson. And that song, about a pilot whose plane is damaged during a battle but makes it home safely, was one of the top-selling songs of 1943. And it turned out to be the best-selling song about the war that year. Magidson had a lyric for a song to be performed by Durbin, and McHugh came in with a rousing melody to accompany it. Durbin had a moderate hit with her recording of Say a Prayer, which put the song's only verse at the beginning and repeated the chorus twice. Of all the wartime songs that year that were written for films, this one was the most popular, at least with the soldiers overseas who appreciated the patriotism in the song. So we have five songs nominated in 1943 that dealt specifically with World War II. We still have more to talk about. The sixth nominated song comes from the movie Cabin in the Sky, and it has one somewhat humorous reference to World War II. Other than that, the film is a fantasy that borrows a few of its plot elements from The Wizard of Oz, and because it's an MGM movie, even used footage from the cyclone scene in The Wizard of Oz in a crucial moment. Cabin in the Sky is an adaptation of the Broadway musical of the same name, in which a gambler gets a second chance at life after being shot. Only three of the songs in the film version come from the Broadway show, with three more coming from Harold Arland and Yip Harburg. Yep, those are the songwriters from The Wizard of Oz. One of them, Happiness is a Thing Called Joe, is the film's nominee for original song. The title man in the song, played by Eddie Rochester Anderson, has just come back to life after his soul is being wagered by the devil's son and a general in God's army. His wife, Petunia, is so happy to have him back that she praises God. She can't fully speak of her joy, so she sings it instead. At the Waters, as Petunia, puts so much genuine emotion into the song that you know her character is elated to have her husband return from the dead. The song ends while we see Joe recuperating as Petunia is gathering the laundry from the clothesline. It seemed like happiness is just a thing called Joe. He got a smile that make the lilac wanna grow. He got a way that make the angels heave a sigh when they know. 
sometime the cabin gloomy and the table bare. Soon he kiss me and it's Christmas everywhere. Trouble fly away and life is easy go. Does he love me good? That's all I ask you. Sometime the cabin gloomy and the table bare. Soon he kiss me, Lord, it's Christmas everywhere. Trouble fly away and life is easy go. Does he love me good? That's all I has to This is a different kind of love song than the ones that have been nominated for the Academy Award for the past 10 years. Usually, someone performs a love song in order to tell someone else they are in love with them. In the case of Happiness is a Thing Called Joe, the singer already has her man and is so happy to have him that she sings about it. Cabin in the Sky was one of two movies released in 1943 to feature an all-black cast, the other being Stormy Weather. Both movies featured Lena Horne as the potential love interest of the leading men and gave her some showy song performances. As for Cabin in the Sky, people of color dominate the names in front of the camera, but the crew was entirely white. Vicente Minnelli made his directorial debut with Cabin in the Sky, which was produced for MGM by the already legendary Arthur Freed. Harold Arlen and Yip Harburg reteamed for Cabin in the Sky after four years working with other songwriters. Harburg had been asked to write the lyrics for the Broadway version of Cabin in the Sky when it was being created in the late 1930s, but he turned it down because he thought composer Vernon Duke was not right for the job. And after hearing Arlen's melody for Blues in the Night, Harburg certainly had no doubt the two of them could contribute new music to blend in with the existing songs that Duke and John Latouche wrote for the stage. This song, Happiness is a Thing Called Joe, gives Harold Arlen three Academy Award nominations in one year, a first for a songwriter. 
Only Charlie Chaplin had achieved this feat before him in Oscar history, but in three different categories. Happiness is a Thing Called Joe didn't get an official commercial recording, and the MGM Music Department opted for two songs that came from the stage show. But when it came time to nominate Happiness is a Thing Called Joe, the choices were that song and a comedy number called Life is Full of Consequences, which Eddie Anderson sang with Lena Horne while Joe was trying to resist Lena Horne's advances. MGM had lots of musicals released in 1943, but those either contained previously released songs or had original songs of meager quality. Harburg had written lyrics for some of those low-quality songs, some of which appeared in MGM's version of a war morale booster called Thousands Cheer. That movie gave Gene Kelly a chance to show off his dancing and acting skills in just his fourth movie, including a scene dancing with a mop. World War II meant a break from feature film production at Walt Disney Studios, though Disney did release something to keep the annual output going in 1943. It was called Saludos Amigos, essentially a travel log for South America, told via live-action images and animated shorts featuring Donald Duck and Goofy. Since it was eligible for Academy Award consideration, it's technically a feature-length movie, though it lasts just 42 minutes and has no real plot other than showing Disney animators visiting various places in South America. In reality, the movie was made to garner American support for South America and to create goodwill between North America and South America. The film begins with the title song, which was submitted by the studio as its Academy Award nominee. Since this was the studio's only feature film of 1943, Saludos Amigos was the only song available for submission. It lasts just 71 seconds if you include the lengthy instrumental that occurs after the lyrics end, and the chorus offers a warm handshake as a new day is waiting to start. The song was written by Charles Wolcott, with lyrics by Academy Award winner Ned Washington. With not much time to give a lot of words, Washington was able to at least set the tone of friendship between the continents and invite the listener to prepare for a fun 40 minutes ahead. Wolcott was the orchestrator for the music in Pinocchio, which contained Washington's Academy Award-winning song, When You Wish Upon a Star. Wolcott had written music for Disney since 1939, but only for the studio's short films. Saludos Amigos was somewhat of a promotion, though his music only appears for less than two minutes, and the film as a whole is barely longer than a typical short film. Despite that, 
His musical contributions earned Wolcott a second Academy Award nomination for Best Musical Store of the Year. After Saludos Amigos, Wolcott would get a big promotion to head of the music department at Disney, a job he would hold until 1950 while also writing music for The Three Caballeros and Song of the South. Just like Saludos Amigos, our next nominated song is very brief, lasting a little more than a minute. It's Cole Porter's You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To from the movie Something to Shout About. Porter had been churning out musicals on Broadway in the 1940s, most of them starring Ethel Merman. Porter hadn't written any hit songs in the 1940s, despite earning an Academy Award nomination for writing Since I Kissed My Baby Goodbye in 1941. His latest contribution to the movie comes in a film that features Janet Blair as a songwriter named Jeannie and Donna Michi as press agent Ken trying to get her noticed. After he causes her to miss her train, they go to a restaurant where the music for You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To begins to play. That's my favorite song. I wish I had written it. You'd be so nice to come home to. You'd be so nice by the fire while the breeze on high sang That's all there is to the song. It succinctly describes a perfect environment for a woman to come home, from the light breeze to the stars in the sky. Though the performance is disguised as a moment to introduce us to Janet Blair's singing voice, it can be viewed as a prelude to the romance that slowly blooms between Jeannie and Ken throughout the film. I'm sure Porter could have written more verses to the song, but perhaps Gregory Ratoff only wanted a brief song in that scene. Jeannie has become disgruntled by the process of putting on a show with her songs, and she returns to Altoona, Pennsylvania to teach singing lessons. That's where she leads a performance of You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To with six female students. Ken has taken the train from New York to convince Jeannie to return to put on a new show, and when he enters, Ken performs the second half of the song. Overall, this performance is about 10 seconds longer than the earlier rendition. the breeze on high sang a lullaby you'd be all that I could desire 
This is the second nominated song Don Amici performs, and it's a shame that his voice wasn't used for any of the commercial recordings of any song he sang on film. He really has a fantastic singing voice, which is not one of the qualities that was really allowed to shine in his later years as an actor. Janet Blair also did not perform on the commercial record, but rather Dinah Shore was, who took the song to a top 10 ranking on the Billboard sales charts in 1943. For Porter, This is his last chance to win an Academy Award for a while. After the end of World War II, Porter's sole focus will be on the stage, where he's going to set Broadway on fire with Kiss Me Kate in 1948. Harry Warren and Mac Gordon teamed up for their fourth consecutive Academy Award nomination, writing just one song for Hello, Frisco, Hello, a musical from 20th Century Fox that featured more than 20 song performances of previously composed tunes. The song that Warren and Gordon wrote for the film was You'll Never Know, which we hear about 10 minutes into the film as a way to introduce us to the vaudeville group led by Alice Faye and John Payne. On stage, Payne is calling from New York to his girlfriend in San Francisco, prompting the title song Hello, Frisco, Hello to be performed to musically help establish the phone connection between the coasts. That's immediately followed by You'll Never Know as Faye's character, Trudy, sings about how much she loves her man despite the many miles that separate them. Pay attention to the way that Gordon's lyrics give the title different meaning. At first, it's meant to articulate how hard it is to express how much she loves her man. At the end of the song, You'll Never Know implies that she has said I love you so many times that if he doesn't know that she loves him, well, he'll never know. Oh, darling, I'm so blue Without you, I think about you the live long day. When you ask me if I'm lonely, then I have only this to say. You'll never know just how much I miss you. know just how much I care and if I tried I still couldn't hide my love for you you ought to know for haven't I told you so Speak your name in my every prayer If there is some other way To prove that I love you I swear I don't know how You'll never know if you don't
The song takes on a stronger meaning later in the film when Trudy leaves for a career in London after realizing she and Johnny will never be together. At this point, Warren's melody plays as Trudy rides in a carriage after she's made her decision. After a successful stage show in London, Trudy returns to San Francisco to rest, but decides to audition for a job in Johnny's refurbished club. She gets on the stage and sings You'll Never Know to Johnny while his back is turned to her, like a 1940s version of the TV reality show The Voice. Though she sang the song at the beginning of the movie as part of an act, it was obvious she had feelings for her stage partner Johnny, who has become a rich nightclub owner. When she sings it a second time, she's singing it directly to Johnny to officially say that she loves him. And we get a third performance of the song at the end when the third member of their troupe convinces Trudy and Johnny to revive their vaudeville number from the beginning of the movie. After singing Hello, Frisco, Hello, Trudy segues to You'll Never Know. At this point, Johnny gives in to his feelings and expresses it by singing it with Trudy as we get our happy ending. Just how much I miss you I speak your name in my every prayer If there is some other way to prove that I love you By the way, Hello Frisco Hello, the song, was written during World War I by Gene Buck and Lewis Hirsch. Seeing that the film was being set in San Francisco, producer Milton Sperling made sure to buy the rights to the song and make it the film's title. So 20th Century Fox only had one original song of significance to submit as an Academy Award nominee. And to help publicize it, Fox asked singer Dick Hames to record the song instead of Alice Faye. The studio had a policy that none of its movie stars could introduce songs in their movies, then turn around and make more money from the songs by cutting commercial records. Fox was the only major studio to make this rule, which didn't hurt the studio since they stood to make money from the record sales no matter who was in the recording booth. So the tenth and final nominated song on our list for 1943 comes from the movie Hit Parade of 1943. It's okay if you've never heard of that title because when it was released in theaters in 1949, Republic Pictures renamed it Change of Heart after the big song that came from the movie. This was a move that Republic had done with all four of the movies with Hit Parade in the title. When they were re-released, they got new names to keep them from being outdated, and also to trick moviegoers into possibly seeing it again. It was really hard finding a copy of Hit Parade of 1943 anywhere, 
until I realized that it received the name change. When the movie was released in 1943, Change of Heart was the big song to come from the movie and thereby earned the Academy Award nomination. It's performed twice in the film as the main love song that causes two songwriters to fall in love. Jill, played by Susan Hayward, plans to reveal that Rick, played by John Carroll, stole her songs and didn't give her credit when they became hits. But after she falls in love with him one night, she sits at the piano and begins forming the melody that will become Change of Heart. The next day, Rick has written the lyrics, and he sings it for Jill while she plays the melody on piano. A change of heart For no good reason A change of heart Like a change of season Yesterday was autumn All the trees were bare But today is springtime and blossoms fill the air. This change of scene has brought you near me. I change your mind. If your heart could hear me, yesterday was lonely. All my skies were A change of heart today. The lyrics use the change of season to describe the change of feeling lonely in autumn to feeling in love in the springtime. In reality, those lyrics were created by Harold Adamson, who you'll remember for writing two Academy Award-nominated songs in the 1930s. Adamson wasn't very prolific at the start of the 1940s, but by 1943, it was the start of a second chapter for him, starting with Hit Parade of 1943. He wrote five songs for the movie with composer Jewel Stein, who was responsible for the nominated song Who Am I from Hit Parade of 1941. Luckily, Stein decided to step away from the last Hit Parade movie, which came out in 1951, since none of the songs he composed for the two Hit Parade movies had any commercial success. Change of Heart never got a commercial release in 1943 or during the film's re-release in 1949, so any hope that enough Academy voters would hear the song and pick it as the best song of 1943 was slim to none. But those who saw the film heard two renditions of Change of Heart, with the fuller version coming at the end of the film when Rick plans to sing the song on the radio as a platform to tell the world that Jill was the true writer of all the songs. As he prepares to sing, Jill is on her way to the radio station, and as you'll hear during Rick's performance, she barges into the studio and sings a bit of another song she and Rick wrote in order to get his attention. They don't manage to finish the song because they decide to kiss instead of sing to close out the film with a happy ending.
for Victory Broadcast? Yes, sir, but you can't go in. They're on the air. Sorry, lady. Oh, you can't stop me now. I'd change your mind If you'd only let me In addition to Star-Spangled Rhythm, I mentioned the other musical that 20th Century Fox produced called Stormy Weather, featuring Lena Horne singing the title song that would become her signature for the remainder of her career. That song and all the others in the all-black cast musical were previously composed, so none of them would get a chance at Academy Award recognition. But the song Stormy Weather gave a boost to Lena Horne's career and a boost to the record sales. The film, however, is often a footnote in discussions of the song. But no song in 1943 lifted its accompanying film more than As Time Goes By from the movie Casablanca. It became so synonymous with the film that whenever people think about it, the often misquoted line, play it again, Sam, is used. If you've not seen Casablanca, and honestly, why haven't you? The song is a favorite of lead characters Rick and Elsa, and it often plays as a memory of their good times together before they reunite during the war. The song was written in 1931 by Herman Hupfeld for the Broadway musical Everybody's Welcome, and was only moderately successful as a commercial record. It wasn't until it was used in Casablanca that it became a mega-hit, loved by generations thanks to the gravelly voice of Dooley Wilson and its importance to the movie. It became so loved that the American Film Institute named it the second best movie song of the first hundred years of motion pictures, only behind Over the Rainbow. You must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you, on that you can rely. No matter what the future brings, as time goes by. 
The films released in 1943 got a little more competitive with the birth of the Golden Globe Awards, which also looked to honor film achievements. These awards were handed out by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, a group of journalists writing about Hollywood for foreign newspapers and magazines. In its first year, the Golden Globes were only awarded for acting and directing as well as for the best motion picture of the year, and the Song of Bernadette was the big winner at the 1944 ceremony. We won't get a Golden Globe for the best movie song until 1962, but I just wanted to point out that the Golden Globe Awards got their start in 1943. Even though 20th Century Fox didn't have a wealth of original musicals on its slate for 1943, it had a lot of prestige pictures that helped the studio's exposure. The Oxbow Incident, The Song of Bernadette, and Heaven Can Wait were all nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. The Song of Bernadette won four Oscars, including Best Actress for Jennifer Jones, but Warner Brothers took the big prize with Casablanca winning Best Picture and Best Director. With World War II still raging in Europe and Asia, and the D-Day Normandy landing still three months away, the Academy Awards ceremony on March 2, 1944 was scaled back again, and for the first time, members of the public were allowed to attend the event at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Only members of the military could join movie stars at the event that year, but their mingling wouldn't last long. All of the awards that year were handed out in just 30 minutes. After the embarrassment of Irving Berlin presenting himself with an Academy Award for writing White Christmas the previous year, the Academy changed procedures to prevent nominees from presenting the award in which they are nominated. So, when it came time to introduce the Best Original Song winner, Dinah Shore came on stage to announce the winner. Even though she was not a nominee and couldn't win an award, Shore did have a vested interest in the winner since she had made a hit out of You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To. But it wasn't Cole Porter's name that she saw in the envelope. And it wasn't Harold Arlen who had essentially a 1-in-3 chance of winning with his three nominations. Harry Warren would win his second Academy Award plaque, and his lyricist Matt Gordon received his first by writing You'll Never Know. Their winning song made a little bit of history, becoming the first winning song to come from a film in color. Though they had a very productive collaboration in the early 1940s, Harry Warren and Matt Gordon went their separate ways after winning the Academy Award for You'll Never Know. Now, the reason for their split was never made public. Neither of them fought in World War II, and both continued working in Hollywood continuously for more than a decade, but with other collaborators. And they'll both earn many more Academy Award nominations. Matt Gordon will be back as an Academy Award nominee in our next episode, which will take a look at a lot of nominated songs from 1944. Gordon will have a lot of celebrated songwriters joining him on that list, with even more famous singers such as Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire duking it out with their tunes. I'm so excited to examine these songs in the next episode. So as always, thanks for singing along with me on the Best Song Podcast. Let's do it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.